We've been doing a series separate from Luke. What's it been on? The church. Good. Glad you guys knew that. It would have been depressing if you didn't. Um, the church. Uh, the first one we did was Acts 2.42, and uh, that was just kind of an introductory one. And it talked about that very, very first assembly of Christians as they came together, and they were devoted to four things. The apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. That was what that first church was devoted to. One of our goals in doing this is to really think about this local assembly, what what are we going to be devoted to? That's what a lot of the purpose behind this has been. I'll be honest, I miss Luke right now. Uh, I love plowing through Scripture for a couple reasons. One, I don't have to try to figure out what I'm going to talk about. I don't like doing that. I'm going to be honest. I do not like doing that. I hate it. I know you do too. I hate. I just absolutely. I'm like. I. I don't like it. But, and in fact, from our second sermon on this series, Paul preached on something. Does anyone remember what Paul preached on that second one? Not last week, but week before. Anybody? Somebody said it. Preaching, right? Expository preaching, and that's what we're devoted to. We're focused on that. That's one of our key ways we're going to do that, which is funny because we're not really plowing our way through in that way. But I will say that what we're trying to do in the meantime, while we're doing this, is still expository in nature. So for example, last week when Paul preached, he preached about um, worship, about singing, about music, but he didn't go to a bunch of texts on it. How many did he focus on last week? One, right? One specific one. Let's, what does the word say about this, and that's one of the goals that we have. But still, I'm missing Luke because I, 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 I'm looking forward to getting back to it already. I'm like, I don't, I just love plowing my way through there. In fact, I found that the longer I do this, the more I when, I, when we study a book together, by the time I'm done, I almost feel like I know the author a little bit better, right? And that has a twofold meaning. One, I feel like I get to know the author, the ultimate author, the Spirit of God that's talking to us through his word, but I also feel like I get to know this guy. There's this guy named Luke that penned these books, and it's interesting because I feel like I get to know him a little bit better. Like I'm looking forward to when I get to heaven and just like meeting Luke and saying, thank you so much. That was so, I'm so glad that God put it upon you to write those books, and I loved your style. I loved the way you did it. I loved the things that you recorded. I know that I know that he'll be going, that was all the spirit, but I'll be like, I know, but... Thank you anyway, right? Anyway, getting a little sidetracked. This next topic, so this is the fourth one in our series. This next topic um, is an important one. It's a relevant topic for many people, okay? For lack of a better term to describe what this topic is, and it's really going to take me two Sundays to really talk about it. For lack of a better term, I'm going to use this word, unity, okay? I think it's a very relevant topic. I think this is one that if you talk to Christians at all in this county or anywhere you go, like I've, you know, when I lived in South Carolina, this would come up. When I, everywhere I've been, Christians, they want to talk about this topic. It's an interesting topic. What do we do with it? Frankly, what do we do with denominations? What do we do with that? I know most of us go, we don't like it. I wish there was, yeah, I know, I know, I get it. What do we do with that? What do we do with um, I have a friend of mine that, uh, his name is Dan First. He, he was always like, in his mind, he's like, I wish we could just get 
every single one of us into one big giant church in Danville, and I appreciate that. There's part of me that goes, man, that'd be awesome, right? Which, by the way, that is going to happen. If you read Revelation, I hate to tell you this, but there's going to be an eternal Danville, I think, okay? Perfectly restored in Christ's kingdom, and all the Christians of Danville from all time will be united at that time. So that's going to happen. I'm, don't worry. It will. But in the meantime, what do we do? Why can't we all just get along, right? Why can't we get along? Actually, I'm going to oppose some of those questions a little bit because I think we get along better than some people give us credit for. Should we approach this topic? How should we approach it? I also feel like this is an important topic for us specifically. Let me tell you a little bit about Edgewood. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Some of you don't know this. Don't get up and run out screaming, okay? We're a Baptist church. <laughs> I'm out! <laughs> Amen. Oh, now the people are putting gloves. Oh, what? Oh. Okay. Hey, here's the thing. Let's just, there's a reality that we should talk about this because I'm going to be honest with you. We... We have a situation that we haven't had here before. Uh, in fact, if you go back uh, before most of the new people that are here in the last, last two years came, most of the new people we were getting were what I would describe as unchurched, okay? Which, that presents some great aspects. They don't have a lot of baggage. They don't have a lot of, like, preconceived notions that you got to, there's something that they're not seeing correctly. We don't have to tear that stuff down. They're just coming in fresh. I mean, it's dangerous as a pastor because, frankly, some of the, I, I can almost tell them anything, and they're going to, okay, he's the pastor. I'm like, okay. You know, I mean, that's that. I don't really like that, but, you know, I have to constantly, like, this is what it's like. But there's a lot of things they don't know in advance, and so they're, they're, it's great, like, just to be learning the scriptures together. We have a different situation now. We've got some people that come from a lot of different backgrounds, and God, in his infinite wisdom, has thrown us all together into this particular group for this particular time. I believe that, absolutely. And so, because I'm the guy that I am, I love to just, let's, let's, let's approach this right now. Let's just deal, let's talk about it, right? Let's, let's deal with this, and, and how can we, and so, not just big picture, but smaller picture. Now, let me tell you this, what I'm not going to do, let me tell you what I'm not going to do, okay? I am not going to attempt to solve the issue of unity that has plagued the church since its inception, Okay, I, I'm, I am not going to list out a, a list of things that we, if we all just did this, we would all, no, I'm not going to try to do that. I am convinced we're going to have denominations, we're going to have factions, we're going to have all kinds of different things until Christ returns. I, I think that's what it is, okay? I really do. So I'm not in any way going to say, get up here and be, I'm going to solve this problem right here now. That would be ridiculous on so many levels, right? I'm not going to do that. I'm definitely not seeking to propose any type of, also when we talk about unity, I think our country is very divided. I'm also not going to seek to, here, here's a way we can all, you know, that, that's, that's a different topic for a different day. I'm also not going to attempt to solve this on a local scale just in the Danville area. Okay? I'm not at all trying to say this is, this is why I think we all ought to do all these churches. I'm not, that's not my goal today. Right? I believe, as I said before, Danville Christians will be perfectly united at the return of Christ. So I'm not going to get up here and propose solutions to problems that have been around for a long time. That's not my goal. Okay. 
What I am going to do, what I would like to do, is just let's talk about this, how it's important for us as a group, how we should think about it, and I want to propose to you a biblical way of looking at and thinking about unity, okay? Pause. One of the things I don't like, if it's sermons are weird to me sometimes because I, sometimes I will write and write and write and I'll have this sermon and I get done with it and I go, I don't like this. I don't like the order of it. And so this is one of those. And then I, then I have had times like this weekend where I, then I reordered the whole thing. And I got done with like, this is worse. <laughs> and so then this morning, I had, fortunately, I had done what I don't normally do. I had it all on pieces of paper instead of typing it. And, and so I had all these papers out this morning. And I'm like, like, okay, I like all this stuff. Now what order to present it? And I was like, okay, Lord, I'm just going to have at it. And let's see what happens. What did I do next? Yeah, I did. I did this morning on the way to. I, 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 I did uh, the whole way over. I'm like, I've lost it. I can't do this anymore. I obviously can't do this anymore. I should quit right now. I'm 50. I'm old. Um, I was <laughs> just like, why? Yeah. So the, the issue I'm having is that there's basically one thing I want to say today. There's just one thing, okay? There's just one, one basic thing, but no matter how I came out, I felt like I had to build to it because the one thing I'm going to say I feel like has no impact if you haven't built up to it. So what I'm getting ready to do next is I'm going to try to build something. So I'm going to ask you to be patient with me as I build through this to this one point. There's basically just one point. And then at the, when I get to that one point, there's going to be some application. You'll like that. And then I'll make this one point. Boom. Here it is. And then after that one point, there's a little bit more I need to talk about. And after that, and that little bit more, I'm going to be honest, this is the most frustrating part about this particular sermon is that it fizzles. I like a sermon that like, woo, at the end, but it's like I get this one point, but there's a little bit more I got to say. And I'm going to say it a little bit more. And I'm like, eh, that's, it, it kind of, tapers off. I don't like a sermon that tapers off, but I have to do it because this leads into what I need to talk about next week. Okay. Does that make sense? All right. So you guys with me, at least going to try in my old age, in my, I should have quit two years ago. Okay. Let's try this. Let's do this. Okay. So the way I'm going to talk about unity obviously is going to be through a particular passage of scripture. Okay. Unity in the Bible. If you look up the word unity in the Bible, it is only found, if you have a King James Bible, you will only find the word unity three times in the entire Bible. One of them is in the Old Testament, Psalm 133.1. Two of them are in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 3 and 13. That's the only places where you even see the word unity, which I thought was interesting because I was like, it seems like such an important topic. Why is it not talked about a little bit more? But it's only three times. If you look at an English Standard Version, you'll see it show up four times, which bothers people, but I'm telling you, that's okay, because they translate words differently, and so you'll find it the fourth time is in Peter, 1 Peter, but it's not a word that's talking about unity of people, it's talking about unity of mind in one person, okay? So that, that one's, it's not even the same word that's normally translated unity. If you look it up in the New American Standard Version, you'll find it four times, but instead of it showing up in that 
uh, 1 Peter passage that shows up in John 17, which is a great passage. In fact, we were talking about this the other day. John 17, if you're talking about passages that have to do with unity, John 17 is one of those passages that you would go to because Christ is talking about unity. And I want you to hold on to that one because that's so important. John 17, in fact, John 17, 23 is where you'll see in the New American Standard there's a word. But it's base, it's the Greek word one. Okay? So the word unity comes from the Greek word one. Okay? So if you expand, which, let me tell you this, the word that's translated unity, the two times in the New Testament where it's actually translated unity, and it's that word, is the word one, and it's basically saying oneness. That's a great definition of unity, is it? Oneness. And that's only in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 3 and 13, will you see that word. Now, if you expand your search of, to the word one, you can imagine in the New Testament it shows up a lot more. There's basically three books of the Bible that have that word way more than any other book. 1 Corinthians, Romans, and Ephesians are the three. That makes total sense. If you know what Romans is about, 1 Corinthians is about divisions in the church. And so you hear this one, we need to be one, and there's all these uses of the word one, but then you'll find it again in Ephesians where you also find the word unity. So I chose the passage in Ephesians because it, the direction it comes at unity is a different direction. In 1 Corinthians, it comes at unity from the side of Paul's looking at a church that's very divided, and he's, say, he's coming at it from that perspective. The one in Ephesians comes at it from a completely different perspective. Not of a church that's divided, but there's something else going on there. And this is why I have to build it up, okay? So I'm hoping to build a little bit of anticipation. In fact, I would love it if you could, in your Bibles, look at Ephesians and just go to the first chapter of Ephesians. I have some verses. Don't worry. Don't fret. There's some up there for you, you lazy people. But I do have, I would like you to pull up your Bibles and find Ephesians and look in Ephesians. If you don't have one, there should be a New Testament in the seat underneath of you, in front of you. I think this is very good. In fact, I toyed around with reading this entire book, Ephesians, just from the beginning, just to build it up. But I, I don't want to do that. I do want to do it, but I'm not going to do that. I contemplated it. Um, I'm going to start with Ephesians, or the passage I'm going to go to is Ephesians 4, but I'm going to start back in chapter 1, okay? Now, breath. In 2012, here at Edgewood, we preached through the entire... I always say we. Is that weird? It was me, but I think we because I always think of it as what we're doing together. We're studying Ephesians together, so I always say it that way. We went through Ephesians, the entire book, in 2012. There's some of those online, the audio, but some of them have been lost to the internets somewhere. Um, but there's a few of them on there. I found a couple. I was like, oh, I wonder what I sound like. Um, terrible. So... But I went back, and it was interesting listening. I was picking up some pieces of that, and I was jogging my memory about Ephesians. Ephesians was one of my favorite books to go through and to study. I loved it, just loved it. Uh, so in 2012, we went through that. Ephesians chapter 1, so this is the building portion. You ready to build a little bit? Okay, and I, you got you to be in this with me to build. Okay, so here we go. Ephesians chapter 1 starts off on a huge, grand scale. I'm going to put up some phrases from the first half of Ephesians chapter 1 up there. I know they're small, but you'll see these as you go through there. It talks about these things that you're like, that they're just mind-blowing. If you let yourself think about what Paul is saying, you're like, what? And when we studied this, it took us several weeks to get through that first chapter. And I'm telling you, it's amazingly huge, grand ideas. We're talking about ideas 
that, that span back since before history. And you start to get this idea, this salvation thing, this church thing, what we're doing, this whole Christian thing, is something that started before the world was created. God had a plan. That's one of the big points. There's this amazing plan that he knew what he was doing. He's worked it out. Now, of course, that leaves me with all kinds of, every time I think about that, I got a bajillion other questions that come up. Right? Wait a minute. What about? But just listen to some of these things that he's talking about us. And Paul is talking to the Ephesian church about these huge ideas. And he's laying them out for them. And I think it's to think about that. Just think about it. Blessed in Christ. He's talking about the Ephesian people. This also applies to you. You are blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. What? He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. We have redemption through his blood. We have forgiveness, the forgiveness of our trespasses. This is all done according to the and, and I can remember going through this. There's a lot of like words that just, Paul like throws in just to describe things. According to the riches of his grace. And you get to verse 8. That he lavished on us. I can remember that was one of the sermons we had. He lavished it on us. Right? As I can imagine a grandparent does with their grandchild. They lavish on every... Now, no, not, not, not this grandma. You get what you need. Amen. <laughs> That's not true. She lavishes. She's a softie. She won't admit it. But th there's this lavishing that God has done for us. And Paul's talking about that. God has abundantly done good to us. I love it when people have glimpses of that. You're going through your life and there's all these hard things going on. But then every once in a while you have that moment where the Spirit just gives you a glimpse of how good he's been. And you just sit there and you're like, I'm so blessed. God has been so good to me. What am I griping about? And Paul is talking about this. And he's talking about it in terms that are saying that this was his plan all along. Through history. I mean, I've had plans I've tried to conceive of and then pan out. And if they require more than five steps, they usually don't work. God has this plan that since before the foundation of the world, these things would happen, and then he fulfills it. This plan was for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth, right? I mean, he's talking about Christ, this mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, and he did it like a plan. And then he did it 2,000 years ago. Christ came just as it was planned. And we were talking about today about what Christ went through. I mean, he had to be uh, dependent on the very Spirit of God to live this life out. And then he did it. And Paul's talking about it. Like, it happened. It worked. It happened. Salvation was set up before the foundation of the world, and the workings of this salvation has been fulfilled in Christ. That's an amazing thing. It's been made manifest in him. And not just salvation in general, the idea of it, but our salvation, because he's talking to these people, you and your salvation is part of God's plan in some amazingly unfathomable way. 
right? Now, is that building? You building? You feeling a little bit? You got, I know that I can't make you let it build. I, I got to say the things, but at some point, you got to let yourself think about infinite things. You got to choose in your brain right now to go get, get the meat computer fired up and start thinking about some infinite things that God has done. Chapter 1 breaks from that directly into a prayer of gratitude. Paul breaks, which makes sense. He breaks it and he's grateful for those specific Ephesian Christians that God has incorporated them into this great thing. He's like, I'm so thankful for you. He says this in Ephesians 1, 16 through 18. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. I always love it when you watch a movie and there's somebody that starts to realize there's a grand purpose for them, the chosen one, right? Do you realize that there is a hope that he's called you to? Each and every one of you, there's a purpose and there's a hope. In fact, keep that phrasing in mind, a hope to which he has called you, okay? Chapter two begins by Paul describing the inner workings and the divine workings of the salvation of a soul. I love Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 because it, it describes salvation from a different perspective than any of the times that Paul writes about it. He's talking about it from the inside out, inside of a human being. You're dead, right? In fact, let me put up some of these. You're dead in your trespasses and sins, right? You're spiritually dead, but he has made you alive. He's raised us up with him. He seated us with him in the heavenly places. Think about that. Coming ages, he talks about where he might show us the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Just think about those words. What? And that's the reality that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. And this is something, again, that was prepared beforehand. I remember when I was working my way through this, you start to get the idea that God's grand plan of salvation is fantastically bigger and infinitely awesomer than we can comprehend. Chapter 2 shifts gears slightly after this part and starts describing this breaking down of hostility, not just between us and God, but between us and us, right? Right? Which, by the way, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11, 22 is hugely important when you deal with how do we deal with issues like racism in our country. We don't have to create a way. It's given to us right here. In fact, one of the things that Christ did when he came to this earth is he broke down the dividing wall of hostility between races, Jew and Gentile. It's been broken down to make all into one, the two into one. So God's purposes is not just for a people then and a new people now. There's a, there's a people of God that will stand before him in eternity. We will be one people from every tribe, every nation at one point in the future. That is going to happen. 
And Christ has already broken down that dividing wall of hostility. Listen to Ephesians 2. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. Who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. And if you go down to verse 19, he says this. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. This is one grand people. He then goes to describe his people as a people like a building. He says the apostles and the prophets are the foundation. Christ is the cornerstone. and we're, He's building us up together into one people of God. Ephesians chapter 3 shifts gears a little bit again. By the way, in all of Ephesians 1 through 3, there are no commands except for one. There's one in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 11 that says they're commanded to remember something. But there's no other commands in the whole first three chapters of Ephesians. It's all, this is what God has done. And it's amazing. And it's marvelous in our eyes. Ephesians chapter 3 then goes into how do we get to know? How do we get to know this? And Paul says some audacious things that he's been led in on the mystery of the, the purposes of God and that he's been sent to tell people about it. That would not be acceptable in our world today, would it? You think you know something that I can't know? What? I'm, no, Paul was like, I'm, the mystery of God has been revealed to me and I'm bringing it to you so that now you can know the mystery of who God is. And mystery, not like Scooby-Doo's gonna solve it. Mystery, like it was something that was hidden beforehand. That God has now pulled back the veil and said, this is the full revelation of all I was doing found in Jesus Christ. Here it is. And Paul is a minister of that. In fact, he says this, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan, the mystery, hidden for ages in God. I mean, can you imagine how people would react to that today? I've got the mystery that's been hidden for all the ages. I'm telling you about it now. <laughs> right? Full of yourself. But that's what he was called to do, and that's actually what happened. And that, I'm reading about it, and we're telling each other about it today. And people who don't know this truth, this is the truth that they need to hear. And so we bring it. The unsearchable riches of Christ. You have been let in on the secret of the history of the world. The mystery that was hidden for ages. You've been let in on that. You know the truth. And to bring light for everyone. What is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church. The manifold. The manifold means like many multifaceted. The manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. That's crazy because that means that what's going on here, there are rulers, because he's already talking about rulers and authorities in heavenly places, and we were talking about that like beings, right? That there are beings that are finding out the manifold wisdom of God through watching his people, the church. That's amazing. He then, in the end of chapter 3, goes to another prayer, a prayer for strength. And I love that one. I can remember the first time I was reading it. I was like, what's he actually praying for? He prays for strength, but it's strength 
to comprehend. I pray that for my students every day with geometry. God, give them the strength to comprehend this. <laughs> Positive and negative numbers. They should have learned that years ago. <laughs> Come on. Just use a calculator. Forget it. Then we get to chapter 4. Paul shifts gears again. And this is when he begins to say, this is how it's going to impact you, how you live now. And so chapter 4 begins with a series. In fact, there's, uh, I think, five different places where he talks about how we are to walk and how we are to live from 4 to the end of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4 begins in a way that if, if I didn't do everything I just did, would have no meaning. If I didn't try to at least attempt to talk about it, this next statement would have no meaning. Listen to how he starts chapter 4. I, therefore, because of all I just said, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Who could do that? All these things that God has done, walk worthy of that. See you guys later. I'm glad he didn't stop there, right? Walk in a manner worthy. There's infinitely huge things about who God is that are being revealed to us. And then he goes, when he first shifts into what do we need to do, he starts by saying, walk in a manner worthy of this. I love this because this is such a practical reason why studying who God is is so valid to how you then live. Paul, in this book, builds up who God is before he starts telling us what to do. Don't you think so many people get that backwards? Let's start by telling you what you ought to do. That's not how it ought to be. Let's talk about who this is that we are serving and following and believing in. Let's talk about who he is because that changes everything. Walk in a manner worthy. And then he goes on from there to talk about how we are to walk. So now, now I'm, I'm going to shift gears. And so I've hopefully built this up to some degree where you're like, how in the world am I supposed to do this? And you're probably also thinking, what does this have to do with unity? We're going to get there. In fact, I'm right there. If you go to the next two verses, this is laid out for us. Walk in a manner worthy. And he gives us what this manner looks like. And so this is a description. We're going to focus on this for a little bit. So this is the application. Remember I told you there's an application, and then there's one big point I want to say at the end. And then we're going to fizzle. Okay? Here's the applications. For those of you that like the applications, here is what walking in a manner worthy looks like, at least those first baby steps of doing it. I think when you hear these, you will start to get the idea and start to get the understanding of the connection between this and unity. In fact, you should get it because... It talks about these things, verse 2, but then it goes eager to maintain. There's that first use of that word unity right there in verse 3. So there's a connection in Paul's mind between walking worthy and getting to this point, and we'll get there. But let's just talk about what this looks like first. And this is one of those things I kept switching back and forth in my notes. I'm leaving it right here first because I can't change my PowerPoint. Okay? Four things. If you're like... How are we to be? In fact, let's make it really real. How are we to be with each other? Not in theory, not theoretically each other's, but like, look around. There's other humans in this room, okay? 
Now, we've been pretty fortunate. Most of the time, we usually get along pretty well. But there's more of us now, which means we're going to tick each other off eventually. If it hasn't already happened. How are we to be with each other? What I'm going to share with you, I think, has been a, a key element in Edgewood before to some way, shape, or form, to some degree. It's been something we've strived to do. But I'm saying as we continue, I believe this is one of the things. So if you go, what kind of church are we to be? This is the attitude we're to have with each other. Okay? And you can see it there. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love for the purpose of being eager to maintain, earnestly trying to maintain this bond of unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Okay, we'll get to that. But let's just go through that little verse there, verse 2. There's the first one. So important, isn't it? Humility. Humility is to not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. That's what humility is about. To not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Some ways that we attempt to do this at Edgewood, I'll give you two examples of the way we, I, we try to instill this in each other. We have a mantra. How does our mantra start? Go ahead, somebody say it. I'm a complete idiot, but my future is incredibly bright, and anybody can get in on this. I mean, that captures an element of it. Like, when we come together, nobody ought to be sitting here going, I'm better than you. Here's another name. Here's another thing that I, I've, I've done, tried to instill this attitude in you. There's a nickname I try to call you as much as I remember to do it. I like to call you guys the, did you know I say it? The Island of Misfit, Island of Misfit Toys. What'd you say? Brood of Vipers. That's another one. We got that one from Luke, didn't we? I mean, we're, we're a bunch of sinners. I love the Island of Misfit Toys because I look around and that's what we are. We're like, man, I mean, there, nobody in this room has it all together. And if you think you do, you probably need to go find a church that would suit you. Because this one will not work. You're better than all of us. Okay? Now, how we all ought to do this is how we look at others. Others that are non-Christians, sure. But more specifically, others that are Christians. Other churches. Other denominations. How you look at others that are here. It's odd to me how all versions of Christians are tempted to do this. We tend to ascribe this to the holier-than-thou Christians. So you go the church where they're all wearing the suits and the ties, and, the, and we're like, oh, we know they're doing it. You're doing it right now to them. Right? You're going, well, I'm, not, I'm glad I'm not like them. Well, you're doing it right now. This very thing that you're getting annoyed at them at, you're doing. Do you not see that? We all have this tendency to do that in whatever fashion it takes. I mean, I've, I've seen people in the, the suit and the tie, and, and they, they, they'll, they'll catch some clip of some pastor in jeans and a T-shirt, and they're like, ugh. But then you watch the jeans T-shirt pastor, and he'll see the suit tie guy and go, ugh. I mean, you're doing the same thing. All of us ought to approach each other with great humility. And if you think about all that God has already done for us, it gets a lot easier to do that, doesn't it? There's not a one of us that deserves the place we have in God's call. That hope to which He's called you for a purpose. This hopeful purpose He's called you to. Who are you 
to think you deserve it more than somebody else. Most of us know deep in our being, we don't. Do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think. This is part of our manner as Christians. This ought to be part of our manner at Edgewood with each other, with others, as we meet others. We're not going to think we've got it and they don't. We can't do it. Right? Can't do it. Be humble. Next one, be gentle. Be gentle. This is meekness, mildness of spirit, kindness, it's sometimes translated. In the Old Testament, the meek are those who exhibit a reliance on God. At Edgewood, one of the ways that I try to talk about this is with the phrase that I got from a long time ago, we are just beggars showing other beggars where there's bread. There's a great overlap between this one and humility. We're just beggars showing other beggars where there's bread. Uh, This came from Martin Luther, the reformer, who on his deathbed, his final words were, we are beggars, this is true. That's what we are. We're just beggars. That's all we are as beggars, showing other beggars there's bread. God has revealed to us. Not, In fact, you didn't find the bread because you're super smart. You didn't find the bread because you're, you worked harder than somebody else. In fact, some of you, if you're completely honest, you were in absolute, and this is actually theologically correct, you were in absolute opposition to God. He captured your whole soul. And you recognized, I'm a sinner. And he's God, and he died for me. That's why I like to joke and say, all of us, when it comes to our own salvation, are Calvinists. (laughs) We don't like talking about with everybody else, but with ourselves, we're like, if it wasn't for God, if not for the grace of God, so would I. And it's true. Meekness, meek people can, can be bold, by the way. I've met some incredibly meek people who with amazing boldness in their meekness. Let me just give you one example of what this looks like. In their amazing boldness in that meekness, they saw you in pain and they went over to you and they said, can I just pray for you right now? That takes guts. But if do you see the meekness in that boldness? I mean, some of us would be... Afraid. Some people who are like the most, I'm, hear me, you know, I'm going to, right? Go pray for that person. I don't know if I could do that. <laughs> but, but the meek person knows everything I have that's good is absolutely relying upon God. I've gotten all things, all good things from him. And a meek person goes, maybe I'm the one at this moment. There's nobody else standing around. Maybe I'm the one. God, if you would use me, I would, I would do it. Not, not to look good. In fact, I'm going to pray for them, and my, my words are going to fumble. My words are going to, I'm going to trip over them. My prayer for them might just sound ridiculous. In there, but you know what? The meek person says, none of that matters. It's the way a beggar does show other beggars where there's bread. A beggar who finds bread and sees somebody else that's hungry, the beggar that does show, they're not trying to do anything other than say, man, I found some bread. Right? And that's what we are to be in our meekness. So be meek. 
I encourage you, I urge you, as Paul does, let meekness encompass you, define you, humility and meekness as a person. The next one that he mentions is patience. <clears throat> Be patient. Some of you know this already, that word that's translated patience is literally long-suffering. Bear, and I'm going to go ahead and go to the, the last one because he says be, patience and he says uh, bearing with one another in love. So I'm going to put this down because that bearing with one another can be translated persevere, keep at it with each other. Persevering with one another. It should take a long time and a lot to get you angry and worked up. Short fuses need to go in God's people. If you have a short fuse, for lack of a better way, it's stop, change. Well, how do I get to know God a little bit? That's what I would say. Read Ephesians 1 through 3 and then start thinking. Right? I, I don't want to oversimplify it, but I'm telling you right now, Hear those words. If you have a short fuse, that is sin, and it needs to change. You need to repent. You need to change your mind about how you're viewing the world. If you can get so quickly ticked off, getting worked up, got to stop that. How about this? That Oh, that really burns me up. Why? Are you being... So often these are exhibitions of a lack of patience with one another. I work with high school kids all day. I understand, okay? I, I get it. I mean, I have certain legal requirements that keep me from doing some of the things that I would like to do. That helps. But you know what ought to help even more? The thought of living in a, a life worthy of the calling to which I've been called. That ought to be a higher motivation than the fact that I could get arrested if I smack a kid. Right? One of the greatest examples of this played out, and I urge you, if you can find a bi biography, I, mean, I think there's a couple different ones, is, is J.I. Packer. J.I. Packer is a, a well-known um, author. He's written several Christian books. J.I. Packer, I, I don't remember what age he was, but he was like in his 70s or 80s, he stuck with the Anglican church until he absolutely could not. And there's, in 2002, he finally had to walk out um, with a group of other bishops. He walked out. But he stuck with, this is one of the things I love about the reformers. The reformers weren't trying to start something new. I mean, think about what the title is of them. Reform. There was the, the hope of bearing with, to, to bringing us together. That was in there. That patience with one another is key. But I think J.I. Packer is a great example of this. He stuck with them as long as he absolutely could. And it wasn't until 2002 he finally had to step away because of the decisions that that church was making as far as holding to the scriptures. They were blessing same-sex unions, and J.I. Packer said, I I mean, he'd fought and fought and fought and stayed and stuck and patiently sought to teach and to preach and to explain and to show the word of God and the goodness of who God is, but it was finally, I can't, I can't go that, that way. And it wasn't a belligerent 
thing. I have to go. Our paths have to diverge. I think it's a great example of what this looks like. So now, in my short amount of time left, I can get done in like five minutes. You ready for it? <clears throat> Back to that concept of unity. I think that maybe you might see the connection already. I mean, can you imagine if as a people of God we behaved this way? Humble, meek, patient, bearing with one another. What, can you ma- just imagine what kind of impact that would have on how we are as a people. Can you imagine that? It's interesting, though, because Paul, and this is the part that blew my mind, and I missed it when I went through Ephesians the first time. Notice what he says next. He says, with all humility and gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to make a unity of the... Is that what it says? Build a unity of the Spirit? Did it say create unity? Wait a minute. Maintain. That word maintain means to, 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 to keep it, to, to, to not let go. It's something that's, there's a unity of the spirit. In fact, when you think about unity in God's church, I'm going to tell you something right now that maybe you've never thought of before. I'm going to tell you right now. There is unity that has is already existing completely apart from us that has existed before the foundation of the world. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are absolutely unified. Paul is talking about maintaining. That unity is there. It's his church, his foundation. Christ is the cornerstone. There's unity there. We don't have to make something. It's there. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, I think that you actually see this played out in so many different ways. But let me, let me share with you just the next passage, because Paul then, to demonstrate that it's something that's already there, listen to what he says next. Oh, I had that up there. There's one body. There's one spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope. There is... One Lord. There is one faith. Not there should be. There is. There is one baptism. There is one God and Father of all. Unity exists apart from us. That humble, gentle, patient forbearance simply seeks to maintain what is already there, to, be, to participate in the unity that is already there. I'm going to tell you, in my experience in Danville, I don't know about you, but in my experience in Danville, I think that we're actually doing a better job than a lot of people would like to give us credit for. I meet people from different denominations, different churches all the time, and I find this to be true in a real way. I find myself having this bond of the Spirit with them. Has anybody else ever experienced that? You're like... Why is, this is why. It's already there. And as you come into a situation, you're talking with them, and you're being humble and meek and patient, and they're doing the same thing, that working of the Spirit in both of us, we experience the unity that already exists. We are not called to create a unity. There's a unity that's already there. We're just seeking to maintain it. To, to flesh it out. Think about it that way. There's a unity, and we want to show people what it looks like by how we treat each other. 
That's the goal, right? That's the goal. Now, we still have some disagreements. There's people that are going to have a different opinion about baptism. Do you dunk? Do you not? Do you sprinkle? Do you, right? What about kids? Can we do that? Right? There's differences about how we're going to do communion. There's differences about salvation and how that plays out. There's differences about eternal security. There's different views of what the, the Christian walk might look like or how it's played out or musical styles or order of service or the liturgy that some churches have huge elements of liturgy that are worked into their, their worship services. I'd like to suggest something for next week. I think this might be displayed in what Paul says later in the chapter when he uses that word unity a second time. I want to suggest to you that this is a difference between the unity of the spirit that already exists and the unity of the faith as it's played out. There's a method that God has for us, and this is what we're going to talk about next week, so I'm going to give you a teaser. Ephesians chapter 4, as he gets down a little bit later, he says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ, this building that he was already talking about earlier has the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ is the cornerstone that's being built up. Christ is doing that. The way that God does that is through people administering his word. And then he says this, verse 13. So we had maintain earlier, and then he goes to verse 13, and he says, this is going to happen until we all what? What's that word? Until we all what? attain to the unity of the faith. Now, before I read the rest of that, just think about this for a minute. Even now, is the attaining something that we're doing? Is it till you make it? This attain falls more into the concept of until you experience it, until we get there. Now, we know that we're not going to get there completely till when Christ returns. But no matter how you look at this word unity, it's not something we're to manufacture. It's something that God already has within himself since eternity past that we're to participate in. And as we do things his way, that's what we're going to look at next week. As we do things his way, as we seek to do this, we're going to experience and we're going to, until we attain. So we're, we're going to be doing this until one day, there's going to be one day, that one faith will be completely fleshed out in eternity. I'm looking forward to that day. So what are you going to do this week? First thing we're going to do, I'm going to do this. Okay? I want to encourage you this time when we go through this procedure, I want to encourage you as you come up. So once I get over there, I'm going to tell you, come on up. You're going to grab a cup. You're going to grab a piece of bread. And I want to encourage you as you get back to your seat to just sit there and think about that, that phrasing, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Let yourself think about the fact that across the globe, now some, of, some, some people did it yesterday on Saturday. <laughs> I think there's some that believe that. But across the globe, in fact, if you think about the timetables, right, the time zones, this is happening almost nonstop on a Sunday, isn't it? That's pretty cool. And we're participating in something. There is one Lord over all. And there's all these people across the globe that are going to be doing what we're doing right now in remembrance of him. We're going to be thinking about him. So I want to encourage you when we do this today, just get that and just think about how many other people are doing this. And I'm going to be honest. Some people, they're, going to, they're not going to have bread as good as ours. 
We got some good bread. There are some people that are serving crackers, right? There's some that are going to have actual wine and not the little grape juice. And hopefully ours isn't expired. <laughs> All different varieties and ways it's going to look like. There's some that are going to have a, an actual cup, and they're all going to, I'm glad we don't do this, by the way, are all going to take a sip out of the same cup, okay? I know some of you are like, no, thank you. I love all of you, but no thanks. But there's, there's, that's how they do it. So all across this globe, there is a unity that exists in God's people. It's, it's varied. None of us are there yet. That doesn't mean we don't head towards learning him more and more and more. And we're going to talk about that next week. That's where we're going to go. All right. Uh, I'm going to pray and ask God's blessing on this. Uh, when I'm done praying, uh, <clears throat> I'd like you guys to filter up when you're ready. Just come, let's just come around this way and come down this aisle, grab your cup, and then head back to your seat. Hold on to that cup and that bread. And then once everybody's come through, I will lead us through the rest, okay? Do you want to play the piano or can somebody? Okay. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just ask now as we close this time together that you would bless this bread and this cup. Lord, I ask that you would bless our time together that we've had today, that it would be a blessing that your word would sink in in the midst of um, how it's been presented. Lord, I pray that the realities of all that you are would sink in deep into our hearts, that you are an amazing God. Lord, I pray that you would help us to then strive to be humble, to be meek, to be patient, Lord, to be forbearing with one another in love. Lord, because of the great things that you have done for all of us, I pray this now in Christ's name. Amen.